Hello and welcome back to another episode of Voice of X. If you aren't already, please subscribe to the podcast. In addition to Anchor, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Republic, as well as an RSS feed. You can also follow me over on Twitter at Voice underscore of X and on Parlor at the Voice of X, all one word. So today I have a special guest. Her name is uh, Sovika Roska. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Okay, so Sovika is a leadership trainer. She has a focus on essential personal development for those who want to become leaders. She also has a coffee club mentorship program as well as um, how to be a self-leader. I'll go ahead and include a link to her website in the podcast description, so please head on over there and check it out. So how are you today, Sovika? Oh, I'm doing wonderfully well. Perfect. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. had a busy day, so um, but it's, it's going well so far. So what I actually wanted to discuss today with you um, is kind of your, your, your family's background as um, you and your family's background as Romanian immigrants, because yes. uh, really, I, I think the current generation doesn't have a clue really what communism actually is. Like we discussed before, it's just kind of a, they think of it as an alternative form of government or, or this idea of equal outcome sounds so good. Uh, and, and they really don't have any clue what it's really like from those who who escaped from it so I, i'd kind of like to give you the opportunity to start just to kind of if you could just kind of tell your family's story about coming here from romania and what happened before oh yes of course of course so uh for the listeners i was born in romania at that time it was a communist country i came to the states where well, our family came to the states when i was five so i luckily was a child i don't i do remember the revolution but I don't remember anything else, you know, um, up until you're five, you, the only thing that's really important is what's going on in your street. So, but (laughs) but my family, um, my parents, I have siblings, I've come from a large family. So my oldest sister was 18 when we, when we moved to the States. So she got to experience everything as well. So we were born. So let's see, I, our family lived in Western Romania. We live on the outskirts of the biggest city there is called Timisoara. And we lived about three, maybe four miles away from the border with Serbia. It's Serbia now. It used to be Yugoslavia back then. Yeah. And so we had a, when you hear about stories about people trying to escape Romania, ours was considered a border town. People did try to leave Romania from, from there. And for those who aren't familiar, Escaping a commun, leaving a communist country without permission from the government is considered a crime. It's actually capital punishment. So, if you try to leave without government permission, the soldiers had permission to shoot you on sight. Yeah, it's like extrajudicial killing, right? There's no, there's no process. You just oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, exactly. And so, and then if you were caught aiding and abetting anyone who tried to escape, you were punished as well. My, my father actually served time because since we were a border town and we were Christians, whenever anyone came visiting our small, oh, and let me clarify, our village, we, we, weren't, we were a border village would be the better way of saying it. And our border village was roughly 400 people, maybe 400, max 500. I would say closer to 400. Yeah. And there were a tiny place and Whenever any fellow Christians would come visit from other towns, our family, we're a large family, so we would normally house people at our house. And then one of the times 
uh, the two gentlemen who came and stayed, they tried the next day to leave the country. They were caught and then under torture. Um, they mentioned that my dad slept at my dad's house, at our house. So then my dad was taken to prison as well. And at that time, this was in 82. So at that time, my parents had six children under the age of 10. And my mom was left with having to take care of six kids and a retired uh, father. And for and just, you know, take care of them. One of them was under the age of one. One of them was still a baby and have to work on the collective and the farm and then take care of the babies. And thankfully, praise God, my, my dad was came home safe. They didn't torture him. They didn't beat him. And he was then, once he came home, and he, he, he got off. My dad got off very, very easy. So whenever I talk to my parents about our time in Romania, they'll always say, well, you know, we had it really easy. We didn't have it as bad as other people. So um, he only, I think he was just six weeks in prison and then came back and for another nine months or so, they cut his salary. So whatever he was already earning, they taxed, they basically took 75% of it away. And so then we were left, uh, yeah, I imagine six children and three adults. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a Democrat tax program to me. Oh, oh, precisely. <laughs> but uh, but before, before I do that, I just want to real quick give the background on even our village. So my mom, my grandfather was alive before communism came into place. My parents were born, they were technically were born before communists took over, but they were, they were really, really small. So by the time I, my parents were like five or six, communism had taken over. So the land that we lived on used to belong in my mother's families for generations. And when the communists first came into power in, they tried to do, so in history books, we hear in here in the United States, in world history, we learn about the collectives, that collectivization and this collective farm that the communists would create. So we lived on a collective. And when the communists in Romania first tried to create it, they made it voluntary at first. They called it tovarășie, like a fellowship of type of sorts. And because it was voluntary, um, people didn't volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, the collective, they made it mandatory. And so what basically happened is they took away your land and everyone was allotted a certain amount of land that was considered deemed proper for socialists to have. And then the rest of the land all belonged to everybody else. They took away any farm animals that you have. So if you had any horses, uh, pigs, cows, etc. You were allowed to have like one pig and one cow and chickens they allowed, I mean, they took some of the chickens, but you were allowed to have a little certain amount, but no horses. And then if you had any farm equipment that you had built or that had been in your family, the farm equipment was all taken away and put in this pool of everyone owns these resources. And so then everyone was given a parcel of land, depending on how many adults and children over the age, I don't even remember what the age was. And, and you were given that plot of land, it, was, it belonged to everyone, that you were required to work that land. And then you worked that land. If you needed any equipment, you had to go borrow that equipment that used to be yours. You had to go borrow it now from the collective leaders. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then, and then you would, you know, give the crops or whatever. And you, didn't, you weren't the one who decided what crops were being raised or what was done. Whoever was in charge of the collective did that. 
and central planning, right? Central planning, of course. Yeah. And so, and so then that's, that's how you, how you did things. And then for anyone who had, if you had a farm animal, like if you had cows, if you had a cow, not cows, a cow, and if you had chickens, <laughs> you were deemed, you had a state tax that was owned on that. So if you had a cow, they deemed that, okay, for per cow, you should have this many liters of milk per year that you need to give to the government, well, to the people, because we all share resources. And regardless if your chickens laid eggs or if your cow had milk or not, you owed that much. So if one year your chickens, if you didn't have enough eggs, then you would, that would be added to the amount you owe in the future years. And so you'd have to pay it when you had time. And so if you, if your chickens were healthy and they laid eggs, perfect. You could pay off your, the taxes owed, and then you'd have a little bit for your family. But if not too bad, your family would starve. You'd have to give it for the greater good, et cetera. It, it, it's, it mirrored the serfdom cycle of middle of medieval times. Yeah. But, yeah. The middle ages. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's how, so my, my grandfather went from owning his land to now losing everything. And then we lived there. And the way we got to come to the United States was um, I had three uncles who escaped. One of them swam across the Danube River in the middle of the night while being shot at by the soldiers. And he managed to swim across. There was a specific, there's a place called the Iron Gates in Romania. And around, uh -huh. around that area, the Danube River, that's its most narrowest point. So if, okay. you, if you want to swim across the river and it's freezing, right? So you hope you don't get hypothermia, you swim across there. So he swam across, he made it safe. And then I had two other uncles who escaped using trains. Like they, they switched alternate mode of transportation. And even when they escaped, they didn't tell their wives that they were escaping because in, in communist country, it's estimated that anywhere out of one out of three or one out of four people were snitches. And yeah, kind of like the Stasi, right? And, and uh, it's they have the they start getting your neighbors telling on you and exactly. Oh yes, yeah. Using the kids in school to tell on their parents and mm -hmm. exactly. And so and then so some of it was that we can see similarities too. I know we'll we'll dive into similarities to what we see here, but some of those similarities you can see now, where you know people are being encouraged to rat their neighbors out for having parties or for having more than ten yeah. people. So it's it's very similar to that. And so those uncles came over and um, when people escaped Romania and, and made it to a quote unquote safe country or a neutral country, they made it to refugee camps. And when you made it to the refu refugee camp, you weren't guaranteed that you were going to be granted asylum. So they had a refugee camp in Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was also a communist country, but it was not connected to Russia, to the Soviet Union. They were independently communist and which the Soviets hated Yugoslavia for that. And the, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> communism is only proper if you have one central government. That's the only proper way of doing communism. Yeah. 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 Totalitarianism, right? I mean, it's. Yes. And so, and then the other ones escaped. My other uncles managed to get to Austria and to refugee camps there. Now, when people think about refugee camps or the detention centers that we have along our borders, the detention centers that we have along our border borders would be considered luxury stays compared to the refugee camps that we had for those escaping communist countries. 
When you went to the refugee camp, you were responsible for cooking your own meals. You were responsible for cleaning. We've had uh, family friends. One of them, he was four when he and his siblings and his parents got there. So they separated the men and then the women and the children automatically had, they didn't have family units. So the women and children had had some barracks. The men were separate. Uh, I mean, he remembers washing the bathroom floors with, you know, a toothbrush at at his age because you were responsible for the upkeep of the camp. And thankfully, my all my uncles received permission to come to the United States. One of them went on a hunger strike in front of the U.S. Embassy to get his wife, my aunt, to come over. And then they started doing petitions. Once they, and this was in the 70s. So once they mm-hmm. arrived, they started making petitions for, there was a visa that is, I don't know the legal term here in the United States of what it's called, but in Romania, the, the translation of the, the name of that visa was to unify the family. So you, that was the visa petition they made for my grandma. And she had five, four or five more children that were still not married to petition. Well, got chain migration. Chain, here, oh, right? chain migration. There you go. That's what it is. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So they would petition for that. And so my, my dad's from a family of 10 and my mom is from a family of two. So her, her brother-in-law, my uncle escaped. And then he got, he petitioned for his wife and children to come. And then in 1990, they petitioned for my grandfather, their, their, their father, their only living parent to come. On my father's side, I had two uncles who escaped. They, one of them was able to petition his wife to come. The other had not, was not successful at, yet at petitioning for his family to come. And he had his wife. At that time, I don't know how many kids they had. They had quite a few kids. So they had, because um, they're also, I'm from a family of 11 children, and they're also a family of 11. So it, there's a lot of moving pieces here. And then, so my, the rest of my, my dad's siblings, his Mom and his unmarried siblings came in 85. So then they petitioned for us to come. And we started our process in 1987. We received our Romanian passport. So we, it's a, the process is two parts. First, you have to get your passport from the Romanian government to leave. And then you need to get the U.S. visa to get permission to enter the U.S. So we received our Romanian passport in 88. Once you pick up your Romanian passport, because we had the passport for leaving the country, my siblings were kicked out of school. My dad was no longer allowed to work. So he got kicked out of his work. And then we were required to sell the house back to the government because since we were leaving the the socialist state, we no longer were considered of the people. And we only came to the United States in 91. So for until... After the revolution, the revolution happened in December of 89. So until after the revolution, so it was only in January of that, that my father would have been able to have a job again because, so for a good over a year, a year and something, we had to live off of the money that we had, that we sold the house and live off of the food that we were growing in our grocery, in our garden that we had left over after you have to pay the taxes and then just packages that people would send us. We had family in Yugoslavia. We had family in Sweden and then the, some of the family in the U.S. and they would send us care packs. And finally, um, in 91, the Department of State had gotten in touch with my father saying that they had reviewed all of the different... And so we applied through chain migration. 
So even though my my father had was a political prisoner, he had been fined multiple times by the by the government. He was being in the year in which before communism felt, my dad received multiple death threats from the government. Um, they would, the, I mean, my mom, even to this day, is still kind of scared of cops because, not because of anything here in the U.S., but because in Romania, if the police pulled you over, and especially if you were a Christian, uh, you weren't guaranteed that you would come home. It was, yeah, you know, it was common for Christians to be jailed, to be beaten. It was communist, uh, it was also common in her communism for people to be disappeared. And I mean, we had, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of stuff. So we, in the 91, the uh, Department of State got in touch with my dad, had said they were re-reviewing all of the open cases. And when they had seen my dad's history, they said, you should have applied for political asylum because you would have been granted entry right away. So they changed our visa application to political refugees. We received our visa and then September 91, we moved to the States and here we are. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, it what's funny is is as as preparing for this, I, I did research in, into Romania, and to be honest with you, I mean, it could be any other story of any other communist mm-hmm. nation. It seems to be kind of this like this common theme that we actually see even happening, kind of unfolding here in the United States. Um, but I think that the most shocking for me is always, and I guess before I had a friend um, who came here from Hungary in the seventies, um, and uh, I. I work with a woman from Venezuela that escaped Venezuela prior to really going down the, down in, down the toilet. Um, and I knew worked with another guy from Cambodia and they come here and they don't understand the mentality of people. Why would you want this? You have no clue what you're talking about. Yes. You have no experience with, with what this is really like, what it's like to be afraid to open your own door mm-hmm. every day. You got to peek out there to make sure that the police aren't out there or something's going to happen. You're going to take away afraid of your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, Hearing this, I mean, I always, like I said, I grew up, I'm a Gen Xer, so I grew up at the tail end of the Cold War. So I grew up hating communism. And, you know, we watched movies about defeating USSR. They were our enemy. But a lot of the generation now just doesn't, they just, they hear people talk about it. People like AOC talk about it. Just, oh, it sounds like a great idea. They're going to yeah. forgive my college debt and uh, everything's going to be free. And the collective mentality of, you know, this kind of equal, um, equal outcome as opposed to equal opportunity. I guess it sounds good. I mean, I guess when you're carrying $50,000 in college debt, it sounds good. It sounds good, but it's um, a fairy tale. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to live very long before you realize there's no such thing. Like the old adage, there's no such thing as a free lunch. The money's got to come from somewhere. Somebody's got to pay. But even that, so the communists, they were very famous, you know, for when they came into Romania, they they, they, they used two methods. They used the... The honey, the, I mean, the carrot and the stick, right? So the carrot will be like, oh, yeah. everyone's going to own this. Everyone's going to be this. It's going to be perfect. Everyone's going to love each other, blah, blah, blah. And then the stick is, you know, they bully you into silence or kidnap you or kill you or put you in gulags. Um, but yeah. <laughs> even even on the in the collectives, right? The collectives where it used to be your land and now everyone had that parcel of land. People, it wasn't that people got equal pay. In In a communist country, people still did not get equal pay. They were, they yeah. received for the labor that they did on their own parcel of land. So, so it's, it's not, it's still, you still have to work and you're only going to get according to the effort that you put in. If you're working in a farm, like in the factory or something, then, then, you know, it's a bit different or I guess how people want a universal basic income here. 
but you still have yeah. to work and the, the distribution is not equal. Yeah, it, it really, it, 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 it's all very, very alien to me to see the younger generation today really jump on board with this. I, and I shouldn't even say the younger generation because even those of my own generation, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little bit older, feel the same way. And I, I kind of look at it and go, you know, guys, I, I don't understand where you're coming from. I guess I'm very American in this idea that I, 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 I like the idea of me working for what I have. I may not have much, but what I have is my own. And I get to enjoy the rewards of my good decisions. And I'm more than willing to pay for my bad decisions that's that's what liberty really is you're just you're responsible for yourself mm -hmm. um and I, I, it doesn't take much i mean I, we live in a world where everybody's got the world of information in their fingertips all they got to do is search for it i mean you can go look up i mean most of this is this is i mean you had your romania had their revolution in 1989 i mean this is modern times i mean this is not yeah. ancient history this didn't happen during the middle ages i mean this happened recently uh, like I said, I know people who live here, and surprisingly, there's a large number of Eastern Europeans who fled from those Eastern Bloc nations here in Southern California. My friend from Hungary came out here in the 70s, mm -hmm. and he played um, pro football soccer for the Hungarian national team when he was there until he escaped. And he played pro ball out here in Pico Rivera. So that's kind of a weird place because Pico Rivera for us is mostly Hispanic now. But I said, oh, no, back in the 70s, it was all Eastern European. There were Romanians and uh, Serbians and Hung Hungarians. There were a lot of Eastern Bloc refugees here. living here in Southern California. Yeah. Um, Fullerton, so, real quick, Fullerton uh, used to be known as Little Bucharest because so many Romanians oh, lived really? here. Yeah. Yeah, it, there's quite a few. Uh, if you're like Anaheim Hills area, there's a lot in that area, mm -hmm. too. Um, it, it's, you know, they, they fled here. And uh, this, this mentality, and you, you said this several times, the word escape. And uh, you had uncles who escaped and aunts who escaped. The idea of having to escape from your own country, um, uh, that should just absolutely frighten people that we would even take a step down that path in the United States. Um, so so uh, I have a, oh, no, sorry, no, I, I gave a talk in uh, September at the Yorba Linda, the Pat Nixon Republican Women in Yorba Linda on Marxism and on uh -huh. how we got to where we are now and to understand Marxism and why people are so openly embracing socialism, you'd have to understand, go back to the 30s. In the 30s, at the Frankfurt School in Germany, there was a group of um, economists, philosophers, blah, 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 and they were communists. And they had come to the realization that you won't be able, the Western nations, you will not be able to get them to volunteer for communism or socialism because the whole the whole haves versus have-nots argument doesn't work because th mm -hmm. it's good. It relatively was good in, in the United States uh, and in the Western, uh, of the Western European countries. And so they realized you'd have to make, instead of doing the economic route, you have to go the cultural route. And that's where the term cultural Marxism comes from. They realized that in order yeah. to be able to make Marxism a, palatable to people, you'd have to seep it in through the culture. And so when, uh, because most of them were Jewish during when Hitler came into power toward the end of the thirties, they left Germany and uh, Austria, you know, so well, they, they're Frankfurt, so Germany, yeah. So they left Germany and then originally went to Swiss, Switzerland, I believe. And then from there escaped, the, they, they left Switzerland and came and settled in at Columbia University in the United States. And from there, they started educating for first they educated just the PhDs 
and then it trickled down to then the masters, then the bachelors, and then they trained the teachers. And now those teachers are the same teachers who are teaching in our public schools. If you look at our unions, right. the public, the teachers unions, very Marxist indoctrination in there. And so you have this critical, so they're teaching critical theory to all seeping yeah. in through our institutions because the, the Frankfurt School taught that you need to control the robes of society. So the robes would be the teachers, the doctors, the judges, like you need a, the people who hold the authority in society. And it's been since the 30s. They've been working at this. And yeah, and that makes sense because actually even prior to that, you had um, uh, President um, oh, yes. Wilson. Who, who was very, uh, I mean, aside from the fact he was racist, and he, he, don't get me wrong, he did some good things, but he was very much that the idea of the educated elite ruling class are the only ones who should be in leadership, and they should be ruling over all of those. So it kind of fits in perfectly. And to be honest with you, we could probably yeah. do a whole separate <laughs> podcast on public education. Oh, yeah. I, I look at it and go, what happened? How did we go from the envy of the world in public education in the 1950s to where we are now? And a lot of it's right there. And, you know, if you look back at Marxism, Marx originally, he didn't believe there needed to be any kind of revolution. He felt that it would be a natural mm -hmm. evolution of the working class to move towards commun this communist state. And of course, it, it didn't work out yeah. that way. Um, so they began to come up with other things. It, I, I use the term socialism a lot, but I actually got yelled at by the Venezuelan woman I work with who said, Kevin, stop calling them socialists. They're yeah. communists. Stop calling them socialists. And um, the reality is that's true. I don't remember. I was listening to a pastor or somebody. I can't remember who it was. And he said, he made a good phrase that socialism is the tools that put you and I in Auschwitz. And that's really all socialism is. Lenin said the ultimate goal of socialism mm -hmm. is communism. So socialism is just a tool to move you towards this status mm -hmm. authoritarian rule. And that's really just it. There is no, I mean, how many times has been chided in the past? A hundred different times? And it's, it, it is the works. bloodiest ideology. It's always, yeah. It's killed what over a hundred million people mm -hmm. in the history of the world. I mean, it 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 puts it puts the 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 Holocaust yeah. to shame. Yeah, one of the things I've taught I've told people is like we we hear the word Nazi and we have a certain reaction to it, but we hear hear the word communist or commune, we're just like, oh, it's just an ideology. No, you should hate communists yeah. more than Nazi, because communists yeah. killed far more people than Nazis. Were far more effective at it, and they were far more crueler. They were far crueler than Nazis were. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I think people oftentimes forget, too, the Soviet Union was an Axis power before they yeah. were an allied power. They were they were allies with Germany and Italy and Japan before Germany turned on them and they needed to come to the United States and Great Britain for help. And, and, and afterward, there were stories. I think I heard Glenn Beck talk about it. He had this Russian cigarette case and in Russian scrawled on it. There was Russian scrawled on it. And it came from the Russian forces that came into Poland, supposedly, liberation <laughs> forces, right? Yeah. And there was this... German there who was freeing, freeing Jews. He was helping Jews escape, or he was Swiss. I, I take it back. And he was claiming them and saying they're, they're um, citizens of my country so he could help them escape. And as the Russians came in, he ran to the Russians and somebody grabbed him and said, why are you going to the Russians? He said, they can't be any worse than the Germans. Well, that cigarette case came from that group of, of Russians. And in Russians, it actually said, let's kill as many Jews as we can mm -hmm. and then go home. I mean, they were just as bad, if not worse, than, than the Germans were. And so, I mean, the mentality that is, yeah, it's just an ideology, just another form of, of government is just, it's no. just not true. And uh, as, as a Christian, um, there is no mm -hmm. doubt about the state. 
in communism. So, I mean, there can't be. I mean, and that was the foundation of the United States, right? These, the, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator. Because if, well, and I often say this in my podcast, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a Christian, but you have to understand that your rights, they have to come from a creator because otherwise they come from man and man can yeah. take them away. And, and so, so whether you're a Christian or not, understanding the standard and the foundation and the biblical foundation of the United States, it's important because without, without that, you don't have freedom of religion. You don't have freedom of speech. You don't have private yeah. property. I, I mean, I just saw a commercial was shared with me the other day. Um, uh, uh, the one part that stands out in my mind is, is it comes out and says, in the future, no one will have private property and we'll <laughs> all be happy. You'll rent everything. It'll be dropped off on your doorstep by drone. I'm like, really? That's like the American dream, right? To own mm -hmm. your own property. Uh, and it, 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 it just, it, it really, I'm not certain. So I, I guess really probably, I don't want to bird walk too far, but here it, it kind of gets us to the next, to next topic of, um, we can see the parallels um, happening in the United States. Like I said, that happened in Romania, even even the fraudulent elections, I looked it up and <laughs> back in 19, was it 1945, 46? <laughs> They they, they 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 pushed Stalin pushed for uh, his own uh, this uh, so um, sorry communist prime minister and then they held you know I'm doing yes. air quotes here you can't see it but a democratic election and then won seventy percent of the majority through fraudulent votings so, uh, a fraudulent election so you can kind of see these parallels even happening in the United States right now um, so uh, do you see any other parallels I mean what do you think are the signs we should really be looking for but that that were kind of yes. gone. Oh my gosh, yes. A lot, a lot of parallels. And this year has given, um, one of the things that most people who come, adults who have come from communist countries, they usually do not talk about their experiences because they're like, we're not there anymore. Let's focus on what good we can uh, focus on. But this year, especially with our parents, we've been getting stories out of them more often and recording it so we have it for posterity. So the, the first thing that parallels that we see, so in the election, I mean, just looking at elections, fraudulent elections, um, of the establishment having the person that they want you to vote for. So we all know, I mean, let's look at just, for example, the Democratic establishment. Everyone knew that Bernie Sanders would have been the more popular choice amongst the Democratic base, but the establishment had a candidate that they yes. wanted, and that candidate was, gonna, was going to get the nomination. Um, same thing in communist Romania. It didn't matter what you wanted or what you thought. You, you had only one, one party option on the ballot and, uh, and kind of the recommended, this is the person that the establishment wanted. And if you spoke out against it, you would be ridiculed, you'd be ostracized, or you would be disappeared. So people, when it comes to elections, people learn not to speak out. And same thing here, especially in the 2016 and right now in the 2020 elections, if you came out with support for Donald Trump for the one that wasn't the chosen one by the media, you'd be bullied, you might lose your job, you might, you know, you might be attacked. All these things, you're, you're being, it's, it's a form of political terrorism that would happen in Romania as well. And so when you see that, when we see that popping up, that, that's worrisome. Because if it's not okay for you to, if you are not safe to say, I support this candidate and then not have any, um, whether someone says, oh, you're stupid, that's different, right? But, but not have to, um, and you have to worry about negative reactions or negative actions in your life where you're worrying for your financial well-being or physical well-being, 
there's issues. That's a, that's a red flag already. And that was, that red flag was already up in 2016. Then when we look at the government mm-hmm. as well, um, so when we, the messaging that comes out from the parties, so the Communist Party, you know, the, the first messaging was that, oh, government will take care of you, that the purpose of government is to take care of you. That's not the purpose of government, but that's, you see that from the Democratic yeah, Party. No. They have that same messaging, the government will take care, the government will take care. The messaging that entitlements are rights, that this is your right, this is your right. You have the right to land. You have the right to have the same kind of livelihood as the person next door. You have the, it's all these rights, 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 but that's not rights. Those are entitlements. Those are privileges that you have. And yeah. so, but the same, the conflating of the intentional conflating of rights versus entitlements, and then no talk about the responsibility. Oh, because the, the, the government exactly. takes the responsibility, exactly. right? The government, the people, quote unquote, but it's, they, people don't realize it's the individual who's ultimately going to pay. But once again, that messaging, then the messaging that anyone who disagrees with us disagrees with us because they're evil people. And that's, that's a big mm-hmm. one right now. Uh, if you're a Trump supporter, you're a Nazi. You keep hearing Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. They're, and when you really stop and think about it, they're equating Trump supporters, and it, whether you're conservative, it's just conservatives and Trump supporters with people that literally used to march handicapped and mentally handicapped people into rooms and pump diesel exhaust in there to kill the horrific things they did. That's what they're calling people like you and I. I, I, I find that absolutely appalling from a fellow American that they would they would call me that, but it justifies their, their violence. It justifies their anger and it, they, they can now lash out against yeah. Trump supporters. Right. And it's okay. They're vindicated. Yeah. Because and I think most it. people have no idea what Nazi means. I think most people, so I'm a millennial. Yeah, um, I think no. most millennials believe that Nazis were people who thought that the white race was superior. And if you're not white, then you had, you had no uh, point yes. surviving. I think that's the only thing they know of Nazism. They have, yeah. They yeah. see skinheads in the United States, you know, and there's like ten thousand of those here. There's, there's, yeah, there's so and they have no idea. Like they have never heard yeah. of the Red Terror or of the orphanages in Romania, where I mean, if you, so the Red Terror in in Russia, like where I mean, the communists, in order to bully, not not bully, terrorize people into obedience, I mean. They have, they've had documented instances in what they would do. They would take pregnant women and cut open their bellies and take their babies right out of their bellies and let the women to die. Or they would take, um, cut open someone's belly, nail their entra- their intestines to a pole and then whip them. So this person is running around while this entire time their intestines are coming out and dying a horribly agonizing death. Like they, people with the, I, I, these stories need to be brought to the forefront because people need to have that same they need to like feel revolted when they hear the word communist or in one of my, uh, one of our church friends. So there's a, there are multiple Romanian churches here in the area. And in one of the churches that I grew up in, one of the families there, um, their grandmother. And so, and I got to meet her, I know her when the communists came into power at that time, she was married and she was pregnant. And because the area of place where they lived, if you owned more than 20 acres of land, you were too rich for the communists. And so the communists took their entire family and parts of their village 
and literally picked them up, whatever they could carry with them, and carted them to a completely different area of Romania, dropped them off in a field with nothing, just whatever they had in their hands. It was like, okay, you survive. And then the communists took over their land and their properties in their hometown. And so here, there's a group of people, and including her as a pregnant woman, where they had to go collect wood with they, whatever tools they had in their hands that they thought to bring with them, build little, um, what are those called, little shanties or whatever it is, the some kind of a shelter, and then like yeah, a, a like little lean-to yeah. shack type thing, and then have to use mud and yeah, yeah. and and wood to build houses from the ground up and live once again on a wood floor after they go from, you know, like that's what the communists did. And if people think that the communists wouldn't do that again, they are horribly mistaken or just, you know, talk about what communist China does. So sorry, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a sidetrack. We need to, those are the stories we need to push out no. because people need to realize the communists speak. Communists are like that. You know what? Maybe they'll understand this way. They're like that, that slick talking guy who wants you just for one thing and they'll talk a good game, talk you sweet, but as soon as he gets the goods, he'll drop you like you're hot. Yeah. And, and there's this idea that we are, we, we've, our culture has gotten, we've gone, we've moved beyond that, right? When, when you talk to a lot of the oh, yeah. intellectual Marxists, it's, it's always just like, well, we haven't, we, it wasn't done correctly. Oh, so you want the benevolent dictator, right? That just doesn't exist. And I always tell people, we, we, if you think that we have moved beyond that, you're wrong. There are always going to be Mao's, there will always be Stalin's, there will always be Hitler's, mm-hmm. they're, they're still here. Yeah. There, there's currently in China, there's concentration camps, re-education camps, yeah. putting Christians and Muslims in now and yeah. harvesting their organs, I might add. Doing and raping their women. And this is happening right now, today. Yeah. And, and they look the other way. And this idea of globalism, when you talk to people who, who have fled from, from the People's Republic of China, globalism, that's, that's a common term for them. They recognize that immediately as the, was it mm-hmm. uh, Communist International, I think they called it. Um, it's, it's, that's the term that they use. There's this, this, it basically global communism that that's yes. the ultimate goal of communism is world domination. And, um, it, it just, it provides the tools for these horrific, horrific yeah. dictators to take over. I, I mean, I mean, look at, you have, uh, Lenin to Stalin, Stalin, they believe may have even been killed by Khrushchev who took over. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it's just. In, in in Romania, I mean, as I was looking through it, uh, you had what was his name? Ceausescu, I think his name was. He started the Austri- Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no worries. Pronounce it, but they, yeah, he started the austerity programs to pay off the debt. And absolutely, I mean, just actually committed genocide hey, by He paid his off own the people. debt. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, but no, that's those austerity programs are eventually what got him. That was it. Got it. Got. Yeah, yeah they got so bad that right? people finally uh, were sick and tired of it. And the spark, okay, hold on. I, I will tie this. 89? Yeah, that was 1970s, eight. Yeah, it, well, that was the revolution. The austerity program had been going on they started for in the some 80s. time, right? Mm-hmm. So it took a while. It took a yeah. while for the effects. It's once, once everyone yeah. started feeling it, once everyone started feeling the pain, that's when people really, really got fed up. Because you'd have you'd have money. So at the beginning of yeah. communism, you didn't have money to buy food, to buy things. You had, to, and especially in the on the in the countryside, the saving grace was that you had your own little gardens. Towards the end of communism, you'd get money, 
but you wouldn't have things to buy because everything was rationed so that they could sell it, export it to pay off the debt. Um, they would cut off the electricity early at 5 p.m. They had rules on which days you were allowed to drive or not. Yeah. And you'd get fined big time if you were driving your car on a day, like on your, uh, we, we, they had an identification paper. So you think driver license here, but it's not just a driver license. Your driver license was different. You had identification papers that had all this information on you. And according to your identification papers, you would know um, basically what day you're allowed to be driving or not. So they had, I mean, rationing of gas, rationing of electricity, everything was rationed. You'd have the bread lines started towards the end. My parents were saying before the bread lines started, they had, what was it? They had lines for um, sugar, butter, grain. Uh, then eventually people had to purchase bread readily made because it was too expensive to try to make bread at home because of all the rationing. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, I'm going to link back to, to Ceausescu and how he got overthrown. But real quick, back to the, interest, the, the messaging, the similarities in messaging. Mm -hmm. uh, and communists will always, 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 and every country that they come into play will say the rich people are rich only because they have been taking advantage of the poor people. They've been exploiting you. That's why they're rich. And same thing here. Yeah. You get that same message. Oh, rich people are horrible, selfish. They're only rich because they exploited you. They're taking advantage of you. And so to, to start to create a have versus a have not situation. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a class warfare situation. I mean, we saw it for eight years with with Obama really pushed it. The, the whole idea of this kind of class warfare yeah. and um, equal outcome yeah. idea. So, uh, yeah, it make people. I, I always tell people, look, the, the tools are there. If you want to be the CEO of Chevrolet, I mean, maybe you don't have the talent to do it, but you can go as far as you want. And that that's one thing I have to tell you, just to segue a bit. My friend from Hungary, he owns his own business down and I think he's in Redondo Beach. He's a machinist, and the one thing he did extremely well, and I've heard story in, uh, time and time again stories, especially of uh, Europeans coming here um, because mm -hmm. they, they have this work ethic and this culture that actually that, that actually does very well in the United States, and they come here. And even from countries where they, they supposedly have a high standard of living and our happiness index, like Sweden and Norway, they actually come here and do mm -hmm. far, far better when they can just take their own abilities, apply it, work hard and achieve their own goals. And he's like, I, I, Kevin, I come here. I mean, the sky's the limit. I can do as hard as I'm willing to work yeah. and how I'm going to apply myself. That's how far I can go. Mm -hmm. You couldn't do this in these other countries. You, you just, you, you can't. And, um, you know, it, it was at that, and this was a long time ago. I was talking to him. So this idea of, um, being afraid of your own country, um, really, really did not set well with me. And we're seeing that now to kind of, this is a topic I know a lot of people don't like to mm -hmm. talk about with the coronavirus. We're already seeing this idea that, well, you have to might have to have mandatory vaccination and you'll have to carry your your card, yeah. your vax card to be able to travel and do things. And yeah, that that's a, a extraordinary. I, I, the more we move into this, the more I'm beginning to see this has nothing to do with the coronavirus and more as a, it's been weaponized yeah. as a means to gain control over people. Um, over the populace. And, and my bigger thing was, I, I'm not sure where you live, mm -hmm. but I, here in Orange County, I was really, I mean, I know it's turned very blue over the last 10 years or so, but I was surprised at how quickly even people who I would have sworn were very conservative and never would give, would give in, mm -hmm. they just rolled over. Um, uh, I, I mean, like I, I, I've done podcasts and all kinds. In fact, my last podcast was on masks and not fearing and everything else. 
But I went from being one of several not wearing masks in stores to one of a few to now being the only one. And I have to be careful because people kind of look at me funny. Um, and uh, <laughs> they, they've really begun to use this as a means if, where they, the, the government can't specifically step in and force you through mandate. They've managed to weaponize it and actually get people to, again, think that you're murdering mm-hmm. grandma by not wearing one. And so you're an evil person. So now we have the right to attack you and force you to do what the state tells you to do. And so these are kind of common themes. Like I said, as I, as I read through the history of, uh, of Romania from like 1944, I suppose until 89, yeah. I'm like, Oh, wow, we can map yeah. this out. In the United it, States it's, uh, right now. The, the whole mask. Like I understand at the beginning, we didn't know exactly what's going on. And if people choose to wear masks, that is their freedom. They are allowed to choose it. But the fact that the government um, was mandating, it's not a law and going through the public health stuff. And, and they've, have gone back and forth too. So this is one of the things that my parents noticed at the beginning, the direction was no mask. And then after that it was masks. And now even Fauci has said, well, maybe the masks don't help actually. So that, that, that going back and forth and conflict yeah. forth and conflicting advice. But this, during this entire time, you're not allowed to question the government. You're not allowed to point out their flaws. You're not allowed to point out the hypocrisy. That same thing happened in Romania as well. The government is allowed to change their mind and say, oh, yeah. we're following the science, but you are not allowed to question them and saying, well, I'm taking the scientific approach by questioning. And then if you question, then you are the sore thumb out and they make an example of you and the people around you have you, you know, stop, stop, stop. You know, they're the ones who are kind of like pushing you to obey. And then people don't obey because they see what happens to those who don't obey. Then people choose to obey because they see what happens to those who yeah. don't obey. So that definitely, definitely happened. In, so you can see that it's, it's, a tr- it's like a, a trial run, a test run. It's a mini, mini aspect of, oh, well, people, will it work here? Will it work here? And it's setting the precedent. And then in other things, yeah. it will set the precedent for that. I, I think the precedents have been set for quite some time. Are you familiar with Yuri Bezmenov? So Yuri Bezmenov used to work for the no. propaganda arm of the KGB. He defected to the United States, and then during the 80s especially, he went around and he gave a lot of talks, and he even wrote, I forget, he wrote a book under uh, under an alias. I forgot his alias name, but if you look him up on YouTube, you'll find plenty of things where what he says that the communists had a four-step plan to enter into, to take over the United States, because they knew you could not take the United States over by force, it had to come from within. So the first step was demoralization. And this is where you break down their family structure, break down morality, break down belief in God, break down their belief in their own country and their founding fathers and their history. Basically, any foundational, any foundations that they have, break it down. So that therefore, the uh, there is no, uh, no authority, there is no God. It's just whatever the party currently says is going to be the authority. And the purpose of demoralization was to get people to be so completely demoralized that they could look at the same set of facts and come to different conclusions. And he said in the 80s that the process of demoralization had been complete. Then after that, you have um, to destabilize. And so you destabilize the country by loading it up with debt, having it you know, keep doing projects, projects, so that financially they're not doing well, have the country be involved in a lot of pointless and endless wars, stretch their resources out thin, and then the households as well load them up with debt, get them to be focused on 
debt and consumerism so that way they're living paycheck to paycheck basically then you bring it step three is you bring in a crisis something happens and now the government the people are going to demand that the government do something to fix it so the government the big benevolent brother father comes in creates a program to fix it and then that brings step four normalization that program becomes the new normal and then you just repeat this process of crisis and normalization yeah. over and over again and that's how you, in bite-sized chunks, you train people to get towards communism. And I think this, this mask, the whole talk of new normal, it's just another one. It's a, it's a crisis and normalization phase. And that's why people, people have to speak out against it now and when we combat it. Because in Romania, people, didn't, people found out that those who spoke out were, um, were severely punished. My... My grandmother's uncle yeah. was a Greco-Catholic priest, and he stood up, resisted the communists, and then was put into a, a basically a gulag, a slave labor camp along the Danube River, and he served 10 years. And the purpose of those labor camps was to basically kill people, to wear them to death. And if you survived, you got to go home, but we don't know exactly you know, how healthy you were once you survived. And so he was able to survive, and came back home. But... Basically, what happened to that entire village that he had lived in, what they took from it was, don't speak out. Don't be that sore thumb because you'll get sent to a, uh, a work camp. And so that's why it's important for us here now to speak up. We're being trained, especially with the coronavirus, to think that freedom is selfish. And that's, that's what was, you know, yeah. communist. Freedom is selfish. If you want to do this for yourself, you're selfish. You're not thinking about other people. And then you're taught then not to speak out. And if you don't speak out, what happens is the people around you, then they, they're like, well, that's the only message I'm getting. No one else is saying anything against it. So that means it must be true. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, there's a poem from a, um, a Lutheran mm -hmm. pastor, a German Lutheran pastor from World War II. I don't know if you're familiar with the Martin uh, Niemöller. Yeah. First they came for the socialists. So I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then I came, they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for mm -hmm. me and there was no one left to speak for me. And that's what's going to happen. And, and, and that's why I, I've actually, I, that's why I started this podcast because I feel sometimes kind of impotent, like I'm just, I'm, I'm alone. You know, and I, I talked to a friend who I've had on my podcast. Whoa, he lives Portland. in Portland. And sometimes it gets very <laughs> discouraging for him as well. And I say, but yeah, I say it's very difficult. I said, don't get discouraged. Understand there are 80 million people that side with us on this. We just yeah. feel alone because of where we live. Um, and, and, and you've got to continue to do it. And I, I've often even thought maybe I should get like groups of people. If I can get 50 or 100 people to say, let's yeah. do shopping night where we go to Walmart or the grocery store. and We all yeah. don't wear masks so that we can support each other. Uh, I mean, because it, otherwise it's just, you just get bullied. I still don't wear one most places. And the last podcast I did again, laying out a bunch of studies, but I kind of got to the point where like, I was like, look, I'm tired of explaining this to you people. Why can't you understand the idea of tolerance? See, we live in a world where tolerance, and, and I think this goes into using p the, the masses to control and bring people into submission again. Tolerance anymore nowadays is this idea that we, we can have different opinions is or i should say it's not that we can have different opinions and still respect it it's that the left has a differing opinion you not only need to accept that opinion but you need to raise a banner and march in a parade with them celebrating that opinion and if you don't you're evil but that's not tolerance tolerance is you have an opinion i have an opinion i can think you're a complete and total idiot for your opinion but that's yours and i respect that opinion 
The masks, look, you can look at the data. Look at the, it's there. Look at it yourself. I'll look at it myself. I'll decide on how I want to do things for me and my family, and you decide for you and your family. But instead, government has weaponized it and got the masses believing that if you mm-hmm. don't wear one, you're killing granny. And, and, I mean, the data doesn't really support that at all. As a matter of fact, some of the data shows that wearing masks spreads it even more because of jetting. And I don't want to go all too much into that. But I kind of got tired of debating with people because mm-hmm. usually they would just call me names. Mm-hmm. You're a flat earther. You're a science denier. And, uh, you know, and it just became name calling and bullying. And as I begin to research and I, I mean, I don't know about communism, like I said, growing up in the, the Cold War era, um, <laughs> you just grew up hating communists. You know, I mean, I, I you well, you came from Romania, but I still have my globe from when I was a kid that has East and West Germany. You know, and so uh, it, it's it, it's very difficult to talk to the younger generation because they have absolutely no concept of just how and I'm the word yeah. evil is really how evil the communist regime is. And that this is really is kind of following a playbook that has been done time and time and time again. So um, so we, we've kind of talked about some of the parallels. Uh, uh, maybe we can talk about maybe some of the what do you think? some of the solutions. I mean, we have a lot going on right now. There's fights going on for the elections and the fraudulent elections. I'm not sure how, I still don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, I haven't lost hope for the United States yet. So um, especially considering there's so many people, but maybe we could discuss, do you think what, what kind of paths, where, where should we start looking to change direction to try and. Oh yes. Right. So the at ship, the talk so that speak. I gave in September, I had talked about what can we do to fight back And then interestingly enough, on Thursday, we had another event and we had an author, Don Jans. He might be a really good person if you want to interview him as well for a future podcast. He was giving a talk on setting bushfires of freedom. And when he he outlined some steps to take to fight back and I realized I had those were part of my steps, too. So like, good, we're on to something here. Samuel Adams is famously known as, you know, if you want to win over the majority, you don't need the majority. You, if you want to accomplish a big goal, you just need an irate minority that is willing to set bushfires of freedom. And setting bushfires of freedom basically means he's saying, when you, if you want to change someone's mind or like your mind, your mind isn't changed when someone yells at you and tells you you're wrong. It doesn't necessarily change when people give you all the facts and figures. It changes when you go out there, you research it, you look into the data and you come up to that conclusion at yourself. And so bushfires of freedom would be inspiring people towards liberty and inspiring it by inviting them into conversations about liberty. So in order to do that, you first have to educate yourself. You know, for step one is always educate yourself on our founders, our, our founding, why we are a republic, why our government was set up the way it was, and then also educate yourself on how the, you know, the Frankfurt School and the Marxist School of Thought, how that came to happen in the United States. Because once you're equipped with that, you recognize what's happening, and so then you can fight back against it. Then the second, that is, that is, That's right? That's a tall order, man. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm older oh, than you, of obviously, course not. and I didn't get that in school. All, all of my, most of my American history education came from self-education later on in college and the years following. I talked to people older than me and it's like, it's, I, I can't even get through their head 
explaining the yeah. electoral college and why we have it and why the founders had it. It just doesn't compute to them because fair, they've been so brainwashed that fairness means um, equal outcome as far as opposed to fairness is equal. For, uh, this idea that, that what, what, what I'm trying to say yeah. here, when they say fair, they mean it's not fair for them. Fairness means fairness for everybody. And that's what the electoral college really allows. It allows fairness for all the states and not just the state with the most majority. They, just, yeah. they can't get that. But if we have more, why don't I win? And it, it's they've been so brainwashed. Um, that's why I said it's but it's a tall order because I, I, I'm a big I'm a I'm a private student, I guess you would say, of American history. And I, and I always recommend people go to yes. and, and go to um, Hillsdale College. You can do free online yes. Um, lectures and they're great. I, I've listened, I can't even tell you how many. And, and it always trying to encourage people to do it. I can't tell you how many people I've done, encouraged, and not a single one of them. I next time I see them, I say, Oh, did you go do this? Oh, no, I never got around to it. You do, you do, and you, you gotta, have to you ask take them questions <laughs> in the sense of so, what in order to get them to ask and to have an interest, um, they need to, they need to really want to. And but it's just you encourage people, like for those people. The educate yourself, that part, is for people who want to fight for freedom. Tell them, if you want to fight before you start going to speak up, learn this, learn this, learn this. Because if you educate yourself, that gives you courage to speak up. And then that's part two. Part two is start speaking up. Because communists bullied people into silence. And so you cannot allow yourself to be bullied. So speak up. And the speaking up doesn't have to be you have to win people over. If someone says, oh, you know... You know, Democrats are for the good of the people and, you know, they this, did this and, you know, they love people and they, they help minorities. Speaking up could be like, oh, is that true? Like, what are what are some of the top Democrat policies yeah. um, or what some of the top Democrat cities, the cities that have been empowered by Democrats the most, have those helped minorities? And just ask that question and tell that person, like, you know, look that up and let's talk about that next time we meet together. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the Democrat Party, I always say, oh, you mean the party of slavery, the party of the South, the party mm-hmm. of the Ku Klux Klan, the party of, of Margaret Sanger, the Mar- the Margaret of, of LBJ. We're going to keep those N-words mm-hmm. in chains for the next 200, voting Democrat for the next 200 years, the, the party of welfare. That That's, that's yeah. the party you're talking about that's done so much for minority groups. Uh, and this is this is history that you don't learn. You can learn it yourself. Like I said, you have a, a world of yeah. information at your fingertips anymore. Everybody's carrying a smartphone in their pocket, but they use it to play. I don't know what they play nowadays, Candy Crush or whatever, instead of using it to do something, something good. So I was trying to encourage people to educate themselves. You, you, you need to get educated. You need to learn. And, and you're and you're right about that. It doesn't take that many because. The original American Revolution, and the numbers vary, but Correct. it did not have a majority support among the people. Uh, on average, they say, well, a third supported, a third didn't, a third supported England, and a third didn't know. And they've, there's been debates on those numbers, but the reality is that just a majority of the people did not support the revolution. Mm-hmm. It just needed enough. that. And that's the same thing right now on the Democrat side uh, or the, the, the regressive side. It's not that the majority are like that. The Democrats right now are eating their own. They actually have, I forget who it was, um, someone in the Senate that, or the House, I forget, recently spoke out against AOC and said that she's more active on Twitter than she is in Congress. So, representative there. Yeah. So they're, they're, yeah, they're starting to eat their own the because yeah, that they have an irate minority yeah. that has been able to push the, the window of discussion so far left that now if you're moderate, you're considered alt-right. So we need we need that irate minority 
on the side of reason to you know push people back towards freedom. So so it just starts like that because then you speak yes. up. You start with one thing. You start with another. Uh, an example I'll give is what I started doing is I started reading the works of Thomas Sowell, and one of my favorite books of his is Economic Facts and Fallacies. Oh, I would travel. Oh, oh gosh. I traveled a lot, especially in 2018, I, I traveled a lot for my business. I was doing yeah. leadership sessions at MGM, Boeing, Northrop, so I was traveling. And I bring the book with me on flights. And, you know, it seems very innocuous, very innocent, like, oh, economic facts and fallacies. Oh, cool. This is awesome. This is an intellectual book. And so I'd have people ask me about it. Oh, <laughs> wow. What does he write about? And so, you know, I'd kind of get a sense of which, what topic of the very top many topics he has in there which one might be the best suited for this conversation so i've had you know conversations on on uh, the gender pay gap on racism on immigration on like you name it because someone asked me about the economic facts and fallacies book but it's you if you equip yourself that gives you courage and you start off first small asking questions just questions that instigate you know thought or maybe inspire some curiosity. And then afterwards, you can actually have a conversation back and forth with people to start speaking up. Another thing that we could do, and this goes out to anyone who donates money to universities, stop donating money to universities that push Marxist thought. It's going to suck. Yeah. No, no. Like, like I, it, that's just one of the things. Stop <laughs> donating money. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the story at Cal State Fullerton, Stephen G. Mihalo. He had, when I was a student there, he had donated, he had pledged $30 million to the School of Business. So four or six million, I forget how much of it, he, he gave in, he paid already, and they built a building called the Mihalo Building. They renamed the college for him. And then this year, Cal State Fullerton released a press release saying that Mihalo has declined, has decided withdrew the remaining of the pledge, said he will not donate the rest of the money. And there's there was some back and forth about what exactly it was that caused him to withdraw his money. But one of the reasons he brought up was there, he said that they have way too many liberal Democrat professors and he cannot in good conscience donate money. That's, I mean, he, was, he withheld, I don't know, it was 24, $26 million. So we need people. Imagine what would happen if people, instead of donating to the schools that they normally donate to, withdraw all their money and start donating instead to schools like Hillsdale College so Hillsdale can build multiple campuses nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they have a, a mm -hmm. big uh, classical education movement for getting involved to K through 12. Uh, they have their online courses. They have, I think, study at home stuff. They, they, they're doing a lot. They send me surveys all the time. What would you like us yeah. to do most? And it's like, well, I want you to do everything. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they, they've been a huge resource for myself. And, and there are these resources out there. And I, I try and tell everybody I can about them to start getting them educated on this, start learning. And um, it's a difficult task, but uh, it, it's one that has to happen. I, the, the only way you, you learn not to be afraid is by educating yourself. The only way you learn how, how, yeah. how to move forward is by educating yourself. And you, you have to know your history. And, uh, you know, maybe not world history, but at least where you came from. And, um, they, 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 and, and this is why, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read, well, 1984 by George Orwell, the first time I read that, I was probably 22. I think I was sitting out in the parking lot reading it and I finished it. And even then, 
it really scared the heck out of me. And this was back in 1999, maybe something like that, 2000, 1999. It, because no. I don't know if you've read <laughs> it, but it doesn't, it doesn't have a happy ending. Um, so, uh, but, but the ideas of, of the, the, the ministry, uh, you know, the rewriting of history, um, yeah. the, the, everything just kind of going down this memory hole. I see it over and over. You see them that then this is what happens when the communist regimes come in. They don't, they, they have to destroy the history that came before. I mean, they just wipe it out. I mean, you see them tearing down statues. It's like, why would you tear down a statue yeah. of Frederick, Frederick Douglass? That makes yeah. absolutely no sense. Your BLM, your black lives matter. Why would you do that? Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Are you, are, are you for real Abraham Lincoln? I mean, come on because they have to destroy the, the, the history that came before. And then you have this idea. We talked about COVID first. They say masks don't work. Then they say masks work. Then they flip flop back. Yeah. And it's funny. It, no, no, nobody remembers it. It's just like yes. the, the, the last thing yes. goes down the memory hole and they just jump onto the new one. And it's like, don't, don't you remember when they said this? Well, yeah, but they're saying this now, but yeah, but they said this before. They both can't be true. Mm -hmm. One of them has to be a lie. And they just kind of give me a blank look. And, and, and it's like, uh, maybe it's for me. Look, I'm an only <laughs> child and a nonconformist by nature. So it doesn't go well with me. Um, I don't like being told what to do, basically. It, this is put it this way. It took me several years um, <laughs> in my career field to learn how to play well with others. I just don't naturally do that. And um, so 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 this idea of control from the government, I mean, I I grew up saying, you know, John Wayne is your you kind of your quintessential American. This is who you look. This is the kind of American you want to be. You know, we're going to do what's right no matter what. And so this whole mentality is very difficult for me to even wrap my head around about not, not just, I mean, I understand it. I understand how it works. I understand what they're doing, but I don't understand how my fellow citizens could possibly even, even, even want to yeah. even entertain the idea of going down this path. And yet here we are. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many people actually voted for Biden, but mm -hmm. uh, um, <laughs> he got a lot. I, I, I mean, based upon what, I don't know. So I, so it kind of brings us to this, this crux. I think you're right. I think there are things we can do. I think there's things we need to do. We need to speak up. We need to stand up and try. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're right. We don't have to have a majority, but we have to do it. Let's, we can't just sit there. Yeah, and, exactly. I don't know what the and the last, thing, for, acquiesce the last thing we as, absolutely need to do, you know, especially believers, yeah, as, as, is pray. Um, during, the, during, communist, during the revolution in Romania, the revolution... The spark that started the revolution was a Christian pastor. He was going to be deported in Timisoara, so it's right in the region where I'm at. And his congregation decided to stage a protest because they didn't want him to be deported. And then the university students joined in, just to, like a big F you to the government. And when they had <laughs> over 100,000 Romanians gather in the main square and the two words, the two slogans they chanted was liberty and God exists. And those are the cries of people, like of any, the cries for freedom is freedom and God exists. And for the past 40 something years, yeah. their, their government had been telling them God doesn't exist. And you don't, you, you, you know, you, you belong to us. You don't belong to yourself. And, and that's what the cry, the response back was no. Yeah. God exists and we are free. And so for, for Christians, pray, pray, maintain your, maintain your faith in God and live out that life 
demonstrate that life so that those around you see, because people aren't won over by the words that you speak. People are also, they're primarily won over by the life that you lead. So lead that life by example. And they're watching. All you have to do is screw up and <laughs> yeah, see how fast yeah. they So you call yourself a Christian? Right. We all do. And, you know, yeah, so they are watching. They're watching how you live your life. And and I've said this, been saying this for now uh, a lot. And I've sent a lot of stuff to my pastor and other pastors because they're I, I look back over the last I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life, but especially in the last three decades, I've seen a very mm -hmm. lackadaisical approach from the church. And um, we've just kind of I, I've often brought up, especially recently, I said, wait a minute, where where were where were the Christians marching in the streets when they took prayer out of the schools in the 60s? Where were they when Roe v. Wade happened and they, they legalized abortion? Where were they um, when, when the Supreme Court set up and said, no, we're going to force gay marriage upon you? Where were they when all of these things happened? They just looked the other way. And there's this mentality that I don't want to get too, we can have another, again, another podcast on this, that, that, but that, well, we turned the other cheek. And I understand that, but they've kind of taken it as like, a me a way of just kind of not getting involved is an excuse to not get involved and once again we're where we're at and and if you actually mm -hmm. study history back in the revolution there was a, you can go look up a list of pastors and reverends everything that that fought in the revolution and there there was this idea including from some popular pastors today that the revolution is not biblical they always cite romans 13 and it's it's completely inaccurate and if you, again if you go to mm -hmm. wall builders they have a whole article on just what the founders believed and what the church believed and 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 uh i i i don't i think if the church doesn't stand up and we don't have another great awakening i i, I that's where i think the hope really lies that we really need we, we have to have that the idea i often explain to people you understand the idea of freedom of religion that's that's a very biblical Christian concept. It's a Judeo-Christian concept. You don't find this in Islam. You don't find it in Hinduism. They're very demanding that you must be Muslim. It's a very Christian idea, yep. Judeo-Christian mentality that you have the right to choose. And and by by the way, what is it? You have to be a Christian to believe in the biblical standard. I mean, don't cheat on your wife. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't steal. Don't don't murder. I mean, are these bad things to be teaching your kids i i i don't understand this idea of that we just need to get rid of everything i mean i guess i do understand why they want it but um it, we really need the church's involvement when i say the church i don't necessarily yes. mean the church is an institution but the churches the believers need to start standing up and really doing yep. something about it and it starts you're right it starts in the prayer yeah <laughs> well we have gone on for quite a while <laughs> Um, and to be honest with you, you could probably go on further and probably spawn like several other podcasts off of this. I'll tell you, I, I, the COVID-19 thing has really kind of irked me quite a bit, especially as they try and do more lockdowns. But I, I think we're we're kind of running out of time, unfortunately. But um, so I, I guess I want to kind of leave it with um, the fact that there is yeah. no we, we, we have we have to win this. Uh, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Ted Cruz. I said, well, what do we do? I said, well, we have to win. We, we have to win. Uh, President Trump came up and came out and said, look, if we don't win this, we don't have a country anymore. Um, it, there, there is no, this isn't, this isn't the 1600s or even the 17 or 1800s. There is no new world to flee to. There is no, there's no frontier to go to. And in the United States, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, uh, being, you know, my family being here since the 1800s. And so I'm pretty American, uh, but 
it, the, as I talk to immigrants, America, it's a beacon to the rest of the world. I mean, people mm -hmm. grow up their whole lives dreaming of one day being able to go to the United States and, and live there. I mean, and, and if the United yeah. States is gone, I, there's no place else to go. It's just, it's the world is gone. So um, I, I don't want to leave it on a down note, but uh, I think it's important that we win. I think it's important that we pray. It's important that we stand our ground and that we speak up, just uh, as we said. So um, if you'd like to have the sure thing. statement, uh, for everyone listening, I'd like to give it to you and then I'll wrap Realize that there's a real sense of urgency in what's going on. America is not the land of the free that it used to be. Our freedoms have been severely limited already. It has been an ongoing trend towards more of a, with a Marxist influence behind it. The, the events of the past four years have just magnified it. So get educated, speak up, fight back, and pray because America, even though we are not perfect, is still the country that people look to and long to, to be able to come and live here. So let's live up to the vision that people have of America.